So in chapter five, we discovered that Ruff Cook said, there's some big challenges coming and there is a natural way of the human being to keep going, to keep searching, to keep digging, to keep to find the depth in both worldly matters and spiritual matters. What you described as uh, quantum spirituality, quantum wisdom. Quantum wisdom. So where does he go now in um, in chapter six, and what's it called? So chapter six is called Ha'aras Ma'asa Bereshis Umasa Merkava. In Judaism, there's basically two different avenues of of mystery of sodiut, and this is expli- this is found in the Talmud. This is uh, this is actually codified in Jewish law because of certain restrictions on publicly dis- discussing these matters without having proper uh, making sure that the people who are uh, sitting in on the discussions are not going to be led to mistaken understanding. Uh, similarly, you know, you wouldn't want someone who hasn't taken a basic um, physics class taking some advanced, you know, class that's going to lead them astray from some of the basic underpinnings of the of the discipline. So, in in Judaism, there's something called Maisaburishis, which more or less describes. Uh, it's a big discussion what it means exactly. There's pages and pages on it, but Maisaburishis more or less means uh, the secrets of the physical world, physics, chemistry, uh, before we even had language to describe some of these things. This is called Maase Bereshis, which literally means the, the work of creation um, on a certain level of Bereshis, meaning the, the creation story. Um, and on the other hand, you have Maisa Merkava, which is uh, more associated with uh, Kabbalah or mysticism. Um, interestingly, Ruf Cook felt that the Torah itself, uh, the revealed aspects of Torah, were sort of dependent on on understanding both of these disciplines, understanding science and understanding mysticism. Rav Kook uh, one time said, Im ein kemach ein Torah. If there is no flower, that's a statement from the Pirkei Talmud. Avot. If there is no, from Pirkei Avot, if there is no flower, there is no Torah. If there's no flower, there can't be Torah. Um, you have to be able to eat in order to be able to study uh, in the simple interpretation. So Rav Kook uh, homiletically explained the word kemach as being an acronym for Kabbalah. That's the k- of kemach. Uh, mem is for mada, which means science. And ch- the ches of kemach is chasidut, is chasidus. So Rav Kook said, if you don't have these um, these things, it, it's not going to be possible to properly understand Torah. You need to understand science. You need to understand metaphysics or, or Kabbalah or how Hashem interfaces with a finite world. And you need to understand how that relates to you personally, which is what Hasidus is. How do I take these kind of spiritual principles and apply them to my specific life? So if Cook says, Ha'aras my Sabreshis and Merkava work in tandem with each other. Because if both of these are um, pieces of the puzzle of understanding Torah, it can't be that one of them runs ahead of the other one and leaves the other one behind. And so this is a very painful piece because Rav Cook, in, uh, in uh, chapter 6 here basically looks at the Jewish community and says, how can it be that our books that we're looking to for, um, for theological inspiration are from the 1400s, the 1200s, the 1100s, um, meaning, and it's not, it's me, not, meaning their understanding of the world then. It's not an obvious critique, right? Because mm. I think that's what you're getting at. Because the difference between revelation and a received tradition is something that, of course, you, you look backwards because you're receiving something from your ancestors as opposed to science, which by definition is, you know, burying the last guy's theory so that my theory will 
you know, I understand the world better now on, on the shoulders of his theory, hopefully, and I'm not really burying him. But so it's not intuitive. But I think what you're pointing out is that the only way that this is going to work is if we update the language. I think what I'm hearing is update the application of worldly discoveries with the spirituality. You can't be a 1400, 14th century Jew in the 21st century. I mean, you can, but the problem is, is that there's a catch up. There's a, or there's a, there's a, there's a gap. Right. If, if we acknowledge that we're being called to a secret, a secret in understanding the physical world and a secret in understanding the metaphysics of how Hashem interfaces with the world, then by definition, the science today is not good, but it's better than the alchemy that we were using, you know, you know, a few hundred years ago. And so the language of alchemy is just not going to suffice, which is being used. You look in, in older books, you know, you look in the uh, 1000s, 1100s, and they're talking about, you know, the four humors and, you know, uh, black bile and yellow bile and all these things. And they're talking about things that don't resonate with us anymore. Mm. And so Rav Cook is saying that in the same way that the language, which is being used to describe physical reality, is being updated, we're way behind in terms of kind of utilizing that language and also being more full-throated in things that maybe we didn't speak about so openly because works works that uh, originally were mystical works were kind of, they were before their time. They weren't appropriate to be kind of speaking about openly. But now that we have the language to speak about these paradoxes and we have the language to speak about some of these things that would have rang as esoteric before, now they're so simple to understand because this is the science of the day. And sort of Cook is very disappointed with the fact that we're still the, the you know, the parable that I always give is uh, when a three-year-old, um, you know, reaches that age of, of beginning to be educated in Torah and mitzvot in the Jewish community. So for boys, they give them a haircut they put on tzitzis. And, uh, you know, usually they'll put like a cartoon character on the tzitzis. And as the kid gets older, um, the tzitzis, you know, they love the tzitz, they love those those fringes, you know, the four corner garment. But they need to update with like a new pair. And if they don't, if they're forty years old and they're still wearing the Thomas the Tank Engine or you know uh, Fireman Sam, you know, tzitzis, it's going to choke them around the neck. And so for a cook, the same thing is true with ideas. In other words, if you're still holding on to the same language and the same way of presenting an idea, which is so profound, but you're giving it with such, you know, you're choking the idea and allowing it to breathe means incorporating this new Misa Bereshis material, which is being given to the world as well, so that Misa Bereshis and Misa Merkava, which largely is Mada and Kabbalah, and are, in sync. are in sync with each other. And then you add in Hasidus, which means applying it to psychology and to the human condition and how mm. we operate in the world. And then Torah can flourish because I'm in Kemach, in Torah. Did he feel the Jewish community at the time were, were not approaching it with this attitude? So he wasn't waiting. He decided he's going to open his own yeshiva. Rav Kook opened uh, the central, you know, world yeshiva, which is now called Merkaz Harav, after Rav Kook, Harav being Rabbi Kook. Um, but at the time it was called the Yeshiva Merkazi Olami, that's mm. what it's called, the central uh, yeshiva of the world. And there he started to implement, you know, in terms of what people were studying, he reintroduced the study of Maharal. Um, he reintroduced the study of certain basic texts of um, of Jewish thought and Jewish philosophy that were being ignored and attempted to create a language with his own writing that would synthesize all of those ideas and give it to the world in an updated language with m more poetry and more depth and more potency than uh, 
than was being given at the time. And he, at the same time, didn't just rest on that, but was writing letters to all the leaders of the time saying, you know, pick up the pace, we got to do something. Was there ever a time then, historically, where the Jewish community, broadly speaking, was engaging in its study of Torah in this manner? Meaning it sounds like as the centuries rolled on uh, post the destruction of the temple, and maybe it was happening even at the time, there wasn't this linking between Marseille Bereshit and Marseille Merkava. Was he coming out with something so unique or was it unique to the generation that he sure. found himself in? So interestingly, by the Sephardim, um, there was less of a split between Maisa Bereshit and Maisa Merkava. Um, the study of worldly wisdom, uh, the Rambam as an example, but the study of, of worldly wisdom, the Ramban as well was a doctor, um, and this study of the depth of less so with the Rambam, but um, with the Ramban for sure, and with the Chida and uh, the Benishchai and many of the other Chachamim of Svard, uh, there was no, you know, the Benishchai is a good example, uh, Rabbi Yosef Chaim of Baghdad. He wrote a book, uh, according to the Parshio Tashavua, every week, a different Torah portion, where he would explain the various halachos that relate to. He would pick one or two things related to the Parsha, maybe, and he would give uh, a long list. Every single piece begins with a deep and esoteric Kabbalistic tract into the ideas that he's talking about, and then he launches into the into the practical law. But he didn't see those as two different domains. It's in the same book. Mm. Whereas, you know, in Ashkenaz, for good reason, there was uh, several uh, false messiahs, and maybe they were hit str- more strongly with uh, the wave of Christianity that... You know, again, some of that happened in, in obviously in Spain, the Crusades, and but there, you know, there was a there was a different, the, the air was different in in Ashkenaz in Germany, where there was more of a arm's length kept between Kabbalistic doctrine and Jewish law. Mm. Uh, part part of it was people were just trying to survive. Like, what do I do now? And I couldn't, you know, get into these. Yeah, I didn't have the time to sit and think about these things. And the other thing was. We got burned once or twice with Shabtai Tzvi and with the Frankists and other things that kind of gave us pause before we dove right in. And of Cook said, that's great, but now we're in Eretz Yisrael. Yeah, now we're in Eretz Yisrael and the time has come to to kind of open up uh, and do this the right way, finally.